0: All right, one last thing I forgot to mention is in every seat, there was an invite card for our Easter service. Uh, those are gonna be in the seats every single week. Uh, be thinking now, uh, in a couple of weeks, we're gonna actually have a moment where together we like individually plan who we're gonna invite. We're gonna pray over all of those people that we're gonna invite to to come and experience God's love for Easter. Uh, but if you already have somebody in mind, man, grab one of those and invite them uh, to come check it out. So um, I am... Uh, I, I tend to be kind of competitive, and uh, and I love to play games and have fun. Um, and because I'm pre- because I'm pretty competitive, um, part of the fun for me in 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 playing games and participating, whether it's sports or board games or whatever is that I love the process of like poking at people and prodding them and laughing and trash talking them and trying to throw them off, the ga- off their game so that I can get an advantage. That's like a, a lot of fun for me. Most people don't enjoy that. My wife actually hates that. She hates playing games with me because she's like, you're just an arrogant jerk. you know. And I'm just like, and the more she does that, the more trash talk I, I do. But, uh, but of course it's even better when you win, right? Like I, I kind of feel like anybody like me, like you're kind of like Ricky Bobby, like if you ain't first, you're last kind of thing. Like winning matters, right? Like it's we're not just doing this for fun, all right? I mean, it's going to be fun along the way, but you got to win. Uh, and so uh, our our tech director, his name's Kevin, and his wife, Megan. Many of you guys know them, um, and we've become pretty good friends. And so last year we were hanging out together, and uh, and we were playing foosball, and uh, it was me and Kevin against Hanzi and Megan, and uh, and it was very competitive. Uh, And I was talking tons of trash. And here's the thing. It ain't bragging if you could back it up. Because I don't have to tell you who won. The guys won, right, Kevin? That's right. That's right. Uh, And Megan has been sore ever since. And she's been wanting a rematch. But I told her yesterday, like the champ, you you don't just get a rematch because you want one, right? Like you got to have a reason for the champs to give the challenger a rematch. She's just like sending me all this hate mail on my text. It was, you know, <laughs> thumbs down and memes that were not very nice. Uh, but we do play a lot of games in our family together, especially when all of our kids are home. Uh, and, and it's a blast and it's even better when my brother and his family are in town and there's almost always some fighting and crying and there's meltdowns and that's just the adults right and and then we have we we, we've been able to make so many memories playing games together over the years uh we always end up like kind of laughing till our faces hurt and we make fun of each other especially when someone says or does something kind of boneheaded or funny uh so last year um we had some family in town, and we were playing this game that had a little bit of a trivia sort of uh, angle to it and so one of the one of the ideas that came up uh in the game was the industrial revolution and when it came time for the person to play off of that idea or concept, they were just like, "I don't know what this is," and we all laughed and were like, "Oh my gosh like." You know, modern education at its finest, right? You don't know what the Industrial Revolution is. But the, the best part was that another person was laughing, that was laughing at them, laughing along with us at them, said, How do you not know what the Industrial Revolutionary War is? And we were just like, Wha- What? What are you talking about? So yeah, I was made. You could tell uh, by that story, we're not the brightest bunch, uh, but we do love to play a lot of games. So my two youngest boys, Kai and Kelton, they've actually have been playing a lot of Monopoly Junior in the last year. And Kai, who's 12, uh, he always destroys his little brother who just turned eight. He just destroys him. No mercy, no remorse, just rips his soul out every time. And that's because Kai understands something about monopoly that his little brother doesn't. He knows that the name of the game is acquisition, that it's all about accumulating and stockpiling as much property and houses and hotels and money as you can. Not Kelton, though. He, he doesn't get that. He holds on to his money. The board seems a little risky. You never know if you might end up in jail, right? He's not going to just go throwing his money around willy-nilly all over the place. But Kai, from the moment the game starts, he starts buying up every space, acquiring right out of the gate, and he doesn't stop until he owns the board. Because when you own the board, nobody can hurt you. Nobody can touch you, right? And then he slowly but surely takes every single last dollar from his little brother. And sometimes he kind of toys with him a little bit and prolongs the inevitable by floating him a little cash. And Kelton's over there running a negative balance. He's got no money, you know, and every time he passes go, he's just got to hand his money to Kai. I'm like, this feels like real life. Like you just get get your paycheck, hand it to the, you know, the creditors or the credit card company or your mortgage or whatever. Uh, But but the game for them always ends the same way. So a couple of weeks ago uh, they were playing and I came in at kind of towards the, the the tail end of the game, and it was way too late to do anything about it, but I started trying to help Kelton sort of figure out a a strategy, and I began showing him that to beat a shark, like his big brother Kai, you have to be a shark, and and he's got to buy and build, and he's got to grab all he can and leverage it for everything it's worth, and he's got to out-acquire his brother in order to win, and so they had a lot of fun and now, you know, Kelton's armed with this new strategy. But but maybe the hardest lesson for either of them, and I've noticed this, I started noticing this, especially when they play Monopoly, but it, it, it kind of bleeds into all these other games that they play because they love to play checkers and chess and Uno and, you know, all the all the stuff is that, that you know, one of the hardest things for them to sort of come to terms with, especially when they've won, is that. When it's over, it's over, right? It's all just temporary. That they they want to bask in the glow of their greatness as long as they can. They don't want it to end. In fact, almost always, if I'm around, you know, Kai's like, "Dad, Dad, take a picture of the board. Take a picture and post it. Post it. Post it to wherever you're going to post it. Tell them how awesome I am." I'm just like. <laughs> No, I'm not, I'm not going to do that but they just, I want to, we want to be able to remember it later. But in the words of one of my favorite authors, when the game is over, it all goes back in the box, right? It, it, it's, it just all gets put away. Whether you were the, the master of the board, right? Or you hid out in jail. You ever pulled that maneuver? You ever gone to jail? And you're just like, I'm content just to stay in jail for a while. So I don't have to land on anybody's space and avoid, you know, I don't have to pay them any money whether you were broke as a joke or you were living that big baller, like multi thousandaire lifestyle as a monopoly winner, whether you were the car or the symbol or the iron or the shoe, like all the houses and hotels, all the properties, utilities, railroads, all the get out of jail free cards, everything that you accumulated and acquired in the middle of that game, when the game is over, it all goes in the box. And so last week, as you just saw in the trailer, we began a series of conversations called Economic Atheist. And it's honestly not a shot at atheists, but but a description of how people like us, people who believe in God, people of faith, people who uh, uh, say or profess that they are Christians, that we have a tendency to believe in a God, but, but to live and behave as if he's not there, uh, specifically in different areas of our life. That, that we have a tendency to profess things that we don't always put into practice. And so we may not all be as ruthless, you know, kind of sharks as Kai, my son Kai is in Monopoly, but most of us play the game of life the same way, as if the point of the game is to acquire and accumulate as much as we possibly can while we can. And we can't help it. It's the world that we're born into. It's like breathing for us. It's just how we operate in this life. And honestly, it's it's not bad to play the game, right? It's not bad to be good at it. There's nothing wrong with playing to win or being even reaching the point in your life where you feel kind of like you're the master of your board. The problem that we have is that we forget that it's all temporary, that at the end of the game, it all goes back in the box. And the question won't be at the end of the game, it won't be how much did you accumulate, it won't be what the total was of the money in your bank account. The question will be, did you play the game wisely? See, the, the danger for all of us is that we lose sight in the middle of our life of what actually matters in life. And, and unfortunately, being smart and strong and gifted, it, it doesn't. And not only does it not shield us from us falling into that trap, in some ways it makes us more susceptible to it because the better we are at playing the game, The better it goes for us, the more we start believing or at least living as if it'll never end. And how tragic that we would pour our lives out to win at something that when we come to the end of our life, we discover that it didn't actually matter for us to have forgotten somewhere along the way that one day it's all going to stop. That for you and for me, for all of us, one day the game will be over and it'll all go back in the box. Now, this isn't anything necessarily particularly unique to us. In fact, it's kind of been the condition of humanity for all of history. However, I do think that we may be more prone to falling prey to it than we think we are. Because the truth is, sometimes my personal values or my American values actually conflict with what Jesus values. So let let me show you what I mean. So I, I read an amazing American success story recently. I wanted to share it with you. It was a story about a man who had worked really hard. He showed up early. He stayed late. He was wise and had scrimped and saved. And though he had started and come from nothing, he had built a really good life for himself and for his family. One day, he had an investment that he had made that paid off And it paid off in a really huge way. So much so that he was kind of blown away by it. And he was like, look, honestly, I'm not really sure what to even do with all this. This is more money than we've ever had, we've ever known to have. I mean, We've upgraded the house. We traded up on all the cars. Our kids are getting the best education that money can buy. We got all the toys that you could ever want. We literally have the life we've always wanted and worked hard for all of those years. And so he was smart and he didn't want to waste it. And so he decided to kind of diversify and reinvest it and sit on it for a little while and let it build some interest. And it worked. And every day he was kind of checking in on the market and checking his portfolio. And finally, he was ready. He retired early to a life of golfing and fishing and vacations And honestly, it's a fantastic story because if we're truly honest, that's really the dream, right? It's what we all kind of want, even if that's not what we think about every day. It's sort of the direction we point our life at from the time that we are very young. The weird thing about the story I just told you is actually a story that Jesus told. And honestly, for me, at least, it's one of the most confusing and conflicting pieces of scripture in the whole Bible, because I look at that story and go, man, that's awesome. That's what we want. That's what we're, that's what we're all killing ourselves for is to try to actually have enough, not just to take care of ourselves and our kids, but so we can actually take it easy and enjoy our life. But Jesus had a slightly different take on this guy's story than we do. So let's take a look at it together. It's found in Luke chapter 12. And we're going to back up in a little bit and read some of the context. And I'll tell you when we're starting the story. So in verse 13, it says, Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who, who appointed me judge or an arbiter between you? And then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And then he told them this parable, and this is the story I just modernized and told to you. He told them this parable, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to myself, what am I going to do? I have no place to store all these crops. And then he said, okay, this is what I'll do. I have an idea. I will tear down my barns and build bigger barns, and there I will store all my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, be merry. Verse 20, but God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read this story, because Jesus has such a strong response, and I'm trying to come to terms and make sense of what he's talking about. When I read this story, there are some people who come to mind, and they're all really wealthy. And I think, man, yeah, that sounds like a big deal for rich people. Good thing I'm not rich, because those people got to watch out and be on guard. Here's the problem. The people that Jesus was talking to, almost all of them in the audience were far 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 worse off than any of us they were oppressed by the romans they were being attacked, taxed into oblivion almost all of them were the working poor and lived in poverty and yet jesus had the audacity to tell them this story which means like if that's the case that you and i should probably at least pause for a minute and pay attention to what he's saying here. Because the truth is, one day, the game will be over, right? And and when the game is over, all that will matter is God's assessment of our lives. Now, notice that this, this story actually begins, this whole section begins with someone trying to draw Jesus into the middle of their financial, like, family financial argument. Hey, Jesus, I mean, of all the things, you went to see... This guy that you've heard all this stuff about, performed all these miracles, people are talking about him being the son of God, and the thing you went and yelled at him was like, hey, tell my brother to give me what he owes me. I mean, that was your one shot, man, and you shot it, right? And, and, but notice how Jesus responds. He doesn't say, okay, listen, for a small gift to my ministry I will give you this water from the Sea of Galilee. And I will sit down with you and your brother and we'll figure out this inheritance thing. No, he's like, dude, why are you asking me to get involved in that? Which I I think is really telling, right? See, because contrary to what you and I think and what people tell us all the time, God isn't trying to control or manage every little thing about your life or every little thing about your money. And Jesus is like, hey, I don't, that reminds me, there's a bigger picture here. And then he tells the story of the guy and his crops. Also, notice that Jesus doesn't say the guy in the story is evil or wicked. Like, he wasn't a criminal. We don't get the sense that he hurt or cheated or took advantage of anybody on his way to the top, right? He wasn't Bernie Madoff. He wasn't Jim or Tammy Faye Baker. He wasn't running a Ponzi scheme. He wasn't part of a cult that sold snake oil to people and called it essential. <clears throat> I know that's a little shaky ground here. Some of you guys are twitching. You got your little vial right in your pocket. You're ready to chuck it at me. Here's some chrysanthemum oil or whatever it is. <clears throat> Don't get me wrong. They smell great. They're just not magical like you say they are. They're not going to cure my eczema, my ADD, my son's asthma, and my dog's anxiety, just like you promised. But, Look, I'm kidding, sort of. <laughs> don't send me hate messages, all right? Don't, don't be like, you got to try this one. We're, I'm not going to try it. I know you're hustling for your family. Or you're just hustling or something. No, the point is this. Look, the point is the, the guy's a good dude. Like he's, he's the kind of guy that if we met him and we heard his story of his career and where he ended up, we'd say, man, that's awesome. That is a success story that you did it right. You did it the right way. He even believed in God, right? He just lived like God wasn't there and it didn't matter. He was an economic atheist. And so Jesus calls him a fool. And, and honestly, everyone listening to this story the day that Jesus told it, they, many of them would have been just as shocked as we are because they were like us where they only measured and defined the blessings of God one way, materially. I mean, sure, we always kind of throw other stuff in there occasionally, but that's usually only if we're already doing okay financially. We're just like, of course, God's blessing my family and my kids, but the finances are good. So for them, for the audience that day, this guy's giant harvest is a clear sign that God is blessing him, which God would only bless him if he was pleased and happy with his life. But look, at, look again at the language. Look at all the eyes and the mice. Right, so the guy says to him, "What will I do? I have no place for my crops." and Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and will build bigger ones, and there I will store my stuff. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. If you were to make a list of this guy's priorities, it would look something like this. Harvest a large crop, which for us would be make tons of money, right? Build bigger barns. For us, it would be build bigger bank accounts, achieve financial security, eat, drink, be merry, don't die, which is kind of our life plan, right? Like, that's what we do. And listen, the thing that I think makes this conversation so confusing and honestly so dangerous for us because we want to dismiss it out of hand, Right? It is that making tons of money and having a large bank account and being financially secure, enjoying your life, those things aren't bad or sinful, much less evil. See, Jesus's point isn't that they're bad, it's that they're temporary, is that they won't last, which is why Jesus calls him a fool, right? He's like, you you didn't know it. He's like, as if he's talking to the audience there, you didn't know it. But for the guy in the story, the game ends tonight. It ends for you. You thought it'd last forever, but now it's over. And you, everything you spent your entire lifetime building is gone. Who will get everything that you worked so hard for? I grew up in the Sacramento area, and the richest man forever in the Sacramento County was a developer. His name was Buzz Oates. And by all accounts, I didn't know him personally, but all accounts, he was a good dude. He helped a lot of churches, um, had a ton of money. But when he died, I, I remember somebody saying, I wonder how much he left. He was a billionaire. I wonder how much he left. And, and my friend, I heard my friend answer and said, he, he left it all. Because we all do. We, we, we all leave it all behind. See, we don't think this is a big deal, but I'm convinced that Jesus thinks it's a huge deal because he was so emphatic, right? He says, watch out, pay attention. This is something you need to open your eyes. He's literally going, this is a blind spot for you that I can see something that you cannot see. And he says, be on guard. And the language is there, is the idea of having unbroken, uninterrupted vigilance about this idea in your life. And what are we guarding against? He says to guard against all kinds of greed. And honestly, we would all agree with that. I've never met a single person that's pro-greed. Nobody's like, you know what? Greed really saved my life. We were broke, then I got super greedy. Now look at what we have. No, we all believe that greed is ugly or corrosive, it's destructive, But, but apparently, according to Jesus, there's more than one kind. And here's what I've noticed. I've noticed that it's really easy for me to see the way that I define greed, right? Which just so happens to be the kind of greed I don't struggle with. It's really easy for me to see that, that kind of greed in you and in the people around me and the people that are being greedy in the ways that I think they shouldn't be greedy. But it's, it's really, really, really hard for me to see greed in the mirror. The word that Jesus uses for greed Honestly, the, the English language could just say, it, it could just simply mean, it, it means the desire for more. And if that's greed, if that's what he's talking about, that we should be on guard, that we should watch out, we should pay attention and guard ourselves against being overtaken with just simply the desire for more. It's easy to see why Jesus thought this was a conversation that every single one of us Needed, because the lesson in this story isn't poverty's is good and being rich is bad. Because having lots of money or an abundance of possessions isn't the problem; it's living like having lots of money or an abundance of possessions is the meaning of life. That's the problem, and this is how insidious this is: that the overwhelming majority of us would say that we agree with Jesus. There is more to life than just stuff. There's more to life than just acquiring and accumulating. But we'd, we'd be agreeing with him all the while we're spending our lives in pursuit of acquiring more and accumulating more. See, I think part of the truth that Jesus is driving at is the absolute necessity for us to arrange our lives around what truly matters in light of the fact that the game will be over one day that we're gonna die, that time is undefeated and that there's something after that. And I think if you were just honest, if you're honest like me, we just don't do that very well. We don't arrange our lives very well, especially in our culture in light of what truly matters based on the fact that one day the game will be over. Most of us live our lives like the game's never going to end. The apostle Paul said it this way in first Timothy chapter six. He said, command those who are rich in this present world. That's you and I, by the way, I know you don't feel rich, but you are. All of the verses in the Bible that are written to rich people, they're written to us, all of them. Because by any measurable objective standard, Globally, historically, doesn't matter. We're all, we're all in the top percentage, right? So all the scriptures in the the Bible that are written to rich people, they're all to us. We should pay attention to them. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. See, one of the ways we can know this is for us is because especially in our country, especially in our culture, our entire worldview is built on trusting and putting our hope in wealth. That, that's, that's how our lives are built. It just is. When Paul's writing, he's like, don't, don't do that. Don't, don't trust in your stuff. Do you know how uncertain it is? And of course, we've all experienced how uncertain it is multiple times in our lifetime. How uncertain the market is. How uncertain the government is how uncertain the job market is, how uncertain the economy is, how expensive eggs can get or lumber can get or gas can get or any number of things you want to point out, right? He says, don't do that. Don't trust in wealth. Don't trust in stuff. Trust in God. And I also love that he says that God doesn't just provide what we need, but he provides for our enjoyment. And he doesn't skimp either. Like he richly, abundantly, lavishly provides. He makes it rain because God wants you to enjoy your life. And so he's providing what you need to enjoy your life. And it doesn't mean it's always extra funds in the bank account. See, the guy in the story, he wasn't a fool because he wanted to take some time to eat and drink and be merry and play golf and go fishing and go on vacations. That's not why he was a fool. He was a fool because he made that his life's aim. So Jesus ends it all this way. He says this, the story I just told you, this guy being a fool and his life being demanded and he's just losing it all. He says this is, Is how it will be for everyone who lives like this. It will be, their life will be a total loss. It's Jesus basically saying, like, the story that I'm telling you, you don't realize it yet, but it's your your story. Watch out, pay attention, be on guard. And then he juxtaposes it all with one simple phrase He says, be rich toward God. Which is actually pretty remarkable when you think about it, right? That, that you and I could be rich towards God. That somehow that our lives, that we could be a source of blessing and honor to God. That, that beyond that, with his help, that my life can be the resource or the material that God would use to build a better world, to make a difference in somebody else's life. See, what Jesus is saying, this is not like the first century sort of Jesus-y, Bible-y version of, you know, carpe diem or live, laugh, love, or whatever the saying is. No, he's going, it's, it's be rich towards God. Live your life with intention and purpose. Live your life in light of the fact that the game will be over soon. So then the question is, if what does it actually look like to be rich toward God? Being rich toward God, I, I think, means, could mean a whole bunch of different things. I think part of it is that, that you invest in actually growing your own soul, that, that you grow a healthy life and interior life, that all of your focus is just not externally. It's not on your physical body, but you actually develop a healthy soul. I think it means that you, that you actually love and enjoy the people around you, that you invest in deep relationships. You don't just skim life's surface. That you develop an appreciation for your own life and the way that God made you. And you don't spend all of your time wishing that you were somebody else with somebody else's life. That you actually take time to develop some self awareness around how God wired you and gifted you so that your life can do the most good for the world around you. That you would live open handed and be generous with your stuff. It means that you would savor every season, not just the easy ones. That life, that you appreciate that life can be both bitter and sweet. That without the bitter, that we don't actually appreciate or even recognize sometimes how sweet and good life is. And and, and it means that, that we make that which is temporary serve that which is forever or that which is eternal. When you think about it, the crazy thing is in Christianity Christianity today, we often get that last one backwards. We try to make that which is eternal, that which is forever, serve that which is temporary. God, just bless me and bless me and bless me. And what we really mean by that is give me more money and more stuff and more money and more stuff. God, you who are eternal, can you just really help me out with focusing more on what's temporary. And God's like, I don't think so. We focus all of our time and energy and effort towards acquiring and accumulating all that we can because we think that this is what life is about. But according to Jesus, wise people build their lives around the forever, the eternal, and squeeze in the temporary, not the other way around. They don't spend their life completely devoted to what's temporary and try to sprinkle in a little Jesus and a little forever and a little eternity around the edges. See, we, we actually need a regular habit in our lives of reminding ourselves of what's temporary and what will last, what's forever, what life truly consists of and what's gonna go back in the box when the game is over. Because there's really only two categories, right? There's the temporary stuff and there's the forever stuff. And, and this is the essence of being rich toward God. It's always about richness of being, not about richness of having, which is why being rich toward God means that we work to help as much as we can, not to have as much as we can. Because it's one of the only things that's actually gonna last forever. I think lastly, being rich toward God Really begins with giving God that which He deserves and desires most of all. And what He deserves and desires most from you is you, it's your heart. He doesn't want your stuff, He wants you. In the same way that God can give us all kinds of stuff, all kinds of gifts, the greatest gift that He can give us is Himself. We can offer God all that we have but the thing that he desires most is us. And when you think about it like that's what that's what we all want if you're a parent that's what you want right? You don't need your kids to give you their stuff. You want to you want to know them. You want to live in relationship with them. Your desire is for them. Years ago I read this statement by saint irenaeus and i keep it on a note in my phone it says that the glory of god is man fully alive but the life of man consists in beholding god so my question for you this morning is really simple how have you been playing the game have you been playing it wisely have you been playing it like it's never going to end I wonder if you were to step back and just sort of assess your life, if you were to become a consultant in your own life, if you were to fire you and hire you to come in and sort of rearrange your life around what's important. Right? And you could just objectively look at the way that you've lived. What what is one thing? Just one. What's one thing, one change, one tweak, one shift? That being rich toward God would mean for you in your life right right now. I know for me, one of the biggest challenges for me in all of this is just one day, someday. It's way over there. I'm not a person that my age has ever affected me. I know people that when they turned 30, they were just like, oh my gosh, I'm 30. I don't care. I'm getting ready. In a couple of years, I'll be turning 50. In my mind, I'm 18. I'm going strong, except my back and my knees tell me otherwise. But just the awareness the urgency, the realization that I don't have forever because I can be somebody that just, I can be amused by anything. I'm a master at wasting time. I'm a man who craves laziness and leisure, comfort, Joy. I want to just do fun stuff. Jesus would show up and go, you fool. It's all going in the box. It's fine, enjoy that. But don't live like you got forever. Maybe for you, being rich towards God would mean that you finally invite God into your life today. Maybe for you, it might be as simple as taking time to get into a small group and put down some spiritual roots with people. Not because small groups are some magical place. They're not essential oils. (laughs) But you actually can build relationships with people, study the scriptures, share your life, they share their life. You can actually invest in your own soul. Maybe for you, that simple shift, being rich toward God, You would, for the first time ever, you've gone to church for years, you would, for the first time ever, you would serve during this season going into Easter. Maybe it's inviting that person, your neighbor, the person in your family, the one you work with, to come to Easter service. Simply because they don't know Jesus like you know Jesus. Maybe it's more practical than that. Maybe what you need to do is take a couple of stack of sticky notes and on one of them just write temporary and start going around your house and putting them on everything in your life. Put it on your car, put it on your front door, put it on your furniture and the wallet and all the clothes and shoes and your phone and the TV and just put a sticky note that says temporary. Put it on all of it. Just so you get the visual that this is all temporary. It's all going away. None of it matters. And then take the second stack and write forever on them and put one on your family and one on your kids Put them on your friends and on your boss and that super annoying guy at the gym or you're the barista that you can't stand that always messes up your drink or, or that guy that you work with that you, you wish they would fire. And then put one on your own forehead just to remind yourself of what will last and what will not. If you don't wanna go through that hassle, sit down and make two lists make a forever list and a going back in the box list on the forever side is it's going to be real short it's god people your own soul and everything you've done for god with god for others in love everything else on the back in the box side possessions your resume your reputation all your accomplishments all your achievements all your money every pleasure your security your sickness health titles power sat scores the time you won the Little League World Series, all your trophies, your youth, position, fame, it's all going back in the box. And sometimes we just need to see it so that we realize all the time and effort and energy, the aim of my life is all towards stuff that's not gonna last. See, it's not a matter of if, it's truly really just a matter of when that what we naturally value and live for will clash with what God values and says to live for the question is when they do which one will you default to in our culture we just sort of slide to the side and let ourselves off the hook he's loving he's gracious he's and he is all of those things but how tragic that we come to the end and he says you Fool, you wasted your life. Maybe the place to start is just simply today to identify one way that you think that God might be calling you to consistently use what you have for the benefit of other people and then go do it. Maybe it's a gift you have. Maybe it's a talent you have. Maybe it's an ability you have. Maybe it's a resource you have. You have something that God would want to invite you to leverage for the good of people around you. If you don't know where else to start, start there. Would you pray with me?